I know my need for a holy heart. I know that indwelling sin needs to be eradicated. I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, but how do I get this deliverance from God? How can I receive a pure heart and the baptism with the Holy Ghost? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're here in the Wyoming Valley, Wilkesbury area. We're looking to start small groups, as I keep saying each Sunday morning. We want people that want God. We want to get together. We want to talk about spiritual things. We want to look at the Bible together. We're not interested in what do you feel, what do you feel. We're interested in what this Bible says, and we're interested to obey it, to walk in the light of it. It's an objective truth, and we're trying to be disciples ourselves and to make disciples. We want to fulfill the extension of God's kingdom in our present day. In the midst of chaos, we want to bring the order that comes from heaven above. We want people to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And may God help us each one to have that desire and to bring us together. If you'd like to have a Bible study, please contact us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, teaching, preaching, videos. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. If you need something, please also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We're going to be talking about the altar of consecration. Last Sunday, we talked about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, but now we want to know what's the next step. Let's look in Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then the second verse, and be not conformed to this world, But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So by way of introduction here, the Jews, Paul's writing to uh, the Christians in Rome, and the Jews had the righteousness of God at their fingertips, and yet they wanted to hold on to their own hoarded resources of their own righteousness. God has given you mercy because of the unbelief of the Jews, if you're a Gentile. If you're not a Jewish person, God has given you mercy because of the unbelief of the Jews, because it first came to them. No one understands the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So submit yourself, your living self, to the living head as a member of the body of Christ, and not as another head, as if you're, you're in charge of your own life, but to the man, Christ Jesus, who is in charge and knows all things. It's your reasonable service. Because you, as a Gentile, are grafted into the olive tree, which was the Jewish people. They're the ones that carried this truth on earth for thousands of years. You're grafted into that olive tree, and God knows best his plans and his purposes. 
If you go a little farther, verses 3 through 8 in this same Romans chapter 12, it, it lists out a few gifts. These gifts have been given to us so that we might be a living sacrifice to Christ and his enterprises in the world. But instead, we oftentimes squander the, the gifts that God has given to us. We squander it on ourselves for our own selfish interests. But I just want to look here in Romans chapter 12. If you look in the third verse, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy or preach according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. What's he telling us? If we're a Christian, we're a part of the body of Jesus Christ. So we can't each one be our own boss. We're to be submitted to the living head, which is Christ Jesus. And when we're submitted to that living head, he's gifted every single one of us for one mission, to spread the gospel on this earth, to build up the body of Christ and to spread the gospel. That is why you and I need to lay ourselves as a living sacrifice on the altar of God so we can burn for him and not for ourselves. We need to give way to God and his righteousness. This has been God's plan from the beginning. This is not humanly contrived. These are not cunningly devised fables, as Peter said. God has ordained for you, a Gentile, to be grafted in to God's family, to be grafted into his kingdom. What you're doing when you consecrate your all to God is to give up your plans to the ultimate plans of God. Romans 6, 19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. There you see, taking these powers that I've been given, these abilities that I've been given, and laying them on the altar of God so he can use them. So we need to separate ourselves as a Christian, separate ourselves from internal and external uncleanness so that we might devote ourselves to holy use. You need to do it to devote yourself to holy use. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll be reading from the 14th verse to the, let's see, first verse of chapter 7. We're told, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness and iniquity? Or what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what portion hath a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement hath a temple of God with idols? For we are a temple of the living God, even as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be to you a father, and ye shall be to me sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh 
and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is true of the first work of grace as well as the second. In other words, I have to separate myself from evil and uncleanness when, I, when I'm seeking to be saved, to be forgiven of my sins. I have to seek that then. But after I'm saved, God shows me the depth of uncleanness that's in my heart, the fountain of it. And so I need to separate myself from that anew and afresh with the depth that God has just shown me. God will not have external uncleanness nor internal. He's not after just having us try and clean up the outside so we look nice. He wants us to be right. He wants us to be clean on the inside. So I need to work at stopping my hands from doing those things that are wicked, but also stopping my heart from agreeing with those things that are wicked. And you know, you and I can do actions inside of our hearts that never make it out to where people can see them. We can do evil choices within, though we didn't do anything evil per se on the outside. He wants us to separate that wickedness and uncleanness externally and internally. Another thing that it means to be consecrated is to be set apart. This is the watchword of present-day evangelicalism. And really, I think at large, it is a cop-out for securing imparted holiness where sin is destroyed from the heart. In other words, we just say, well, we're set apart, but we still have this internal evil that's within us that we're going to have to deal with all this time. So they emphasize at large being set apart, but they don't emphasize the aspect of holiness, actually living holy. We must willingly set ourselves apart but there's also the part of holiness. But right now we're just dealing with that part of being set apart. Leviticus 15.31 tells us this, Thus shall ye separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, that they die not in their uncleanness, when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. So they're to separate themselves from uncleanness and the tabernacle, not to be used for uncleanness anymore but for holy use. God wants that kind of a decision in your heart and in my heart. He wants it to be that we are the living temples of God, separated unto him, that nothing unclean or evil or wicked be inside this temple. That is the idea of setting ourselves apart for God. Leviticus 22.2, it says this, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they profane not my holy name in those things which they allow, or which, excuse me, which they hallow unto me, I am the Lord. And so he said, if you're going to be touching these holy instruments, doing the ministry of the tabernacle, you need to separate yourself. You need to separate yourself to be used only for that. Even the utensils and the tools you're using in there, they are to be used just for holy purposes. Now, that was with the Levitical system back there in the law, but you and I have to do that inside of our hearts. You and I have to live our lives like that to separate myself from those things that are wicked and that are unclean. There is a separation, but that is man's part, not God's. God's not going to separate you from uncleanness without you choosing to do so by your will and acting it out and doing what he wants you to do. Then there's this aspect also, though, where consecration or seeking a holy heart, it's to pronounce clean. I'm pronouncing when I consecrate my all to God 
and laying myself on the altar of consecration. I'm pronouncing myself clean before God. I'm believing God has given me a new identity and acting upon it in faith. Romans 6.11 says this, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we look at this verse, we reckon, God says that to us, that's a command to us, that's what we have to do. We reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. God then sees the choice and he sanctifies. He makes real what I choose by my own will. And it's not, it's because I believe God. I believe God to do in me what I can't do myself. I got to do my part. And when I meet God's conditions, he does his part. There's a lot of reckoning, but not a lot of believing God to do the work. More faith, it seems, is put in the reckoning than in the sanctifier himself. You hear people say that, reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. And it you get the impression that they're doing this each and every day over and over and over and over again. When God wants us to make a once and for all choice where we count the costs and say, my life is now reckoned dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. I will no longer be used for wicked and evil purposes. I will no longer hold inside of my heart or cherish any attitude or disposition that goes against Christ. I am now a temple of a living temple of God set apart excuse me, for his uses. So we can't, we have to reckon, but there comes to be a point to believe, and we'll get to that a little later. Exodus 30, 30, we read, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. The high priest tells us whether or not our offering is clean. So first we have the priests that are consecrated to their office so that they could do what God wants them to do. Then the common people would come to the high priest and the high priest would tell us whether or not the offering is clean. And you know, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is our high priest, just bringing these parallels through. So the high priest tells us whether or not our offering is clean. We look in Leviticus 27, 14. And when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad, as the priest shall estimate it, so shall it stand. Our great high priest will witness to your heart whether you have presented your offering without blemish and with clean hands. So God knows if we're being real with him. God knows if I've laid everything on the altar. He's looking down into the depths of our being. He's looking down into the core of our own heart to see if we're really being truthful and sincere and and meeting his conditions and doing it. We can't play games with God. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. But the high priest will look at our offering and he'll witness to our hearts that we've met God's conditions. And until you have that witness from the high priest, Jesus Christ himself, then don't assume that everything is okay in God's sight. Wait for him to show you that it is, in fact, as he would like it. So we were just talking about how that we need to make that offering ourselves a living sacrifice before God, consecrating it all. We pronounce ourselves clean, say, from this point forward, My whole being is going to be used for God, not for myself. And we wait for the high priest to attest to the fact that I have, in fact, met his conditions. Another aspect of laying ourselves on the altar of God as a living sacrifice is that we are devoting indwelling sin to God 
for destruction. I want to bring up a word here that's in Hebrew. It's pronounced karam. It is a primitive root in the Hebrew language, which means to seclude or specifically by a ban to devote to religious uses, especially destruction, physically and reflexively to be blunt as to the nose, to make a curse, to consecrate, to utterly destroy, devote to destruction, utterly slay, make away. That's the strength of the word. Now let's look in Leviticus 27, 28. Notwithstanding, no devoted thing that a man shall devote unto the Lord of all that he hath, both of man and beast, and of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. That word devoted inside of this verse is that word karam, which I was telling you just a moment ago. Devoted to destruction, devoted to God for religious uses, especially to destruction. And more pointedly, Leviticus 27, 29, none devoted which shall be devoted of men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. So now I'm giving God all of my perceived good, but then I give him this sacrifice and I can't take it back. It's given to God. It will be God's possession. It shall surely be put to death, the sacrifice. Another translation, Young, Young's Living Translation says it like this, no devoted thing which is devoted of man is ransomed. It is surely put to death. In other words, it is not to be taken. We give God this, and then if it doesn't work out, I'm going to pull it back. You devote yourself to destruction on the altar of God to be crucified with Christ. That carnal self, that selfhood or carnality, like the Bible says, God does not want to destroy you as a person, but he wants to destroy indwelling sin. And the only way he can do that is if I willingly lay myself out on the altar of God, devoting that carnal self inside of me to destruction, that God can burn it out of my heart. Now, Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a statement. Think about the crucifixion. What does the crucifixion mean? Think about you having your arms outstretched, having nails driven in your wrists and feet. Think about being up there on that gruesome cross and being under the weight of your own body suffocating yourself so you can't breathe. And then when you try and stand so you can catch a breath, the excruciating pain in your feet as that nailed feet support your weight. That is the picture that we are given as a Christian. You are to put yourself on the cross with Christ. And what is crucifixion for? Uh, Romans 6 says it this way, I'm crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be rendered inactive? No. The scripture says that the body of sin might be destroyed. God is trying to destroy carnality inside of the heart. He is putting it to death. That's what he's after. So I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live a new life now if I'm crucified with Christ. Galatians 5.24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. This is yours, this covenant 
this sacrifice that I give to God, it's like we're saying, this is yours to keep forever, and I don't want it back. Can I have it back? That's not the kind of attitude a Christian should have. We have to think through this. It's not like, Lord, I give you everything. By the way, if it doesn't work out, I want this back because this is too heavy for me. No, we count the cost and I lay it down and I'm saying, I've given you myself, Lord. I'm not taking myself off of the altar. I'm leaving myself there. Consecration is something proposed for acceptance by another. I'm giving myself over to God and saying, Lord, I'm offering this to you. Do you accept the sacrifice? Romans 6, 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of of righteousness unto God. I am saying, Lord, these hands that have been used for wicked and evil, those are laid on the altar. Now I'm going to do good for you according to your word, according to your spirit. These eyes that looked at filth before, no longer, Lord. These eyes are going to look at those things pure, right, and holy. This mind that I've filled with the garbage of this world and of sin is no longer going to be a trash heap for wickedness. It's now going to be filled with those things that are good and right and holy and useful for your kingdom. My feet, I used to walk in these different places, the dens of sin. I used to walk in paths of darkness. No longer, Lord, these feet are for you. This mouth, I used to speak things for you. I used to sing things for you that weren't right. No longer, Lord. This mouth now is for you to proclaim your truth. I am handing myself over to God and saying, here's this vessel, my own person, my own soul, my own body, and I'm presenting it to you because I want it to be used for right. Do you accept this, Lord? And then we give God unreservedly all our good. So we talk about all the bad. Then we think about you know, what good things do I have to offer God? We've got to be careful there because sometimes we think we've got all this good and God still looks at that and says, yeah, but I need all of that because what you think is good, I can make better. First Kings 20, one through four. And Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, hath gathered all his force and 30 and two kings are with him and horse and chariot. And he goeth up and layeth siege against Samaria and fighteth with it and sendeth messengers unto Ahab, king of Israel to the city and saith to him, thus said Ben-Hadad, thy silver and thy gold are mine and thy wives and thy sons, the best are mine. And the king of Israel answereth and saith, according to thy word, my Lord, O king, I am thine and all that I have. That's a picture of us giving ourselves unreservedly all of our good to God. Everything that I have, Lord, all my perceived good, all of my real good, it's all given over to you. It's yours. Once all is on the altar, we need to leave it there and not take anything off. Psalm 118.27 says, God is the Lord, with which hath shewed us light, Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. That's a picture of when they were making sacrifices back in the Old Testament. They would put the animal up on this giant sacrificial basin that had horns in the four corners. And you can imagine, you can't get an animal to stay still up there. And I don't know if they, you know, if the animal would have had enough understanding to know that here's this giant knife, they're about to cut me and be a sacrifice. I don't know if they had enough understanding at that point to then want to flee away from all that. But the picture is you need to tie this animal down up here so that the sacrifice can be made complete. And you and I need to bind ourselves as a living sacrifice 
to the horns of the altar with cords because I'm not getting off the altar. I am all for God. In Genesis 15, 8, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So here we find Abram putting out those pieces, the acceptable offering to God. But then he finds that there are these birds buzzards flying around the head trying to pick at it and abram was waiting for the fire of god to fall on the sacrifice and in the midst of all that he's being attacked he's being attacked by all these uh buzzards over top of head and yet he's beating them away with sticks you and i are going to have to do that if we mean to give our whole lives to god you bet that the devil is going to come full guns at you you can count on it he is going to try and stop you and talk you out of laying yourself as a living sacrifice. But you're going to have to, like Abram, drive away those buzzards flying overhead, trying to pick off the sacrifice from the altar. You are saying, no, this sacrifice is staying there. And then to sum it all up, we, were, we started there in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So to sum it all up, you present yourself to God in sincerity and in truth. You cleanse yourself. You separate yourself from every use but what God wants to use you for. And then you give him all your good. A great holiness preacher, Kenneth Fay, who's still living, says this in a, a book, Even Your Sanctification. The surrender of every human tie to the claim of a higher love, the love of Christ. So Luke 14, 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, the surrender of all my earthly passions. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And then the surrender of self to God. If any man come to me and hate not his own life, as I said before, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It is an itemized giving up of point by point and thing after thing in his outward life and in your inward life and letting go of things in the past and letting go of the future and a resigning of circumstances and plans and hopes, anticipations and dreams into the will of God. It is a yielding up of the inward affections and daydreams and opinions and sentiments and turning over into God's hand of the very core of your life with all the contingencies, all the outcomes and the possibilities of that life, and such a yielding up as this can never be done except under the immediate guidance and searching illumination of the Holy Spirit. It is a thousand miles beyond human logic or the mere utterances of words. It is a real living transaction, says G.D. Watson. So once you lay your all on the altar, take your hands off. Trust God to consume your offering with fire. The only way we can prove what the perfect and acceptable will of God is, is to absolutely surrender to him our entire being. So how about it, listener? 
Have you done this in your life? How about it, Christian? Have you surrendered everything to him? Have you let him pierce down into your heart, peel you apart like an onion, show you who you are? And then have you itemized giving God, not only separating from all uncleanness, but giving him all perceived good, past, present, and future is all in his hands? Have you laid everything on the altar of God? Has he witnessed to you that he has accepted it? If he has, then the next thing to do is to believe God to sanctify you holy and baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But may God help you if you're in that spot to seek God, just like I said, and present yourself as a living sacrifice unto God, holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto him, and conform yourself to him and not to this present evil world. Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, or if you need someone to talk to or pray with, I want you to contact us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for teaching, preaching, video content. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Join the resistance. God's Resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.